Welcome to our Catechism class. It's a weekly look at the Heidelberg Catechism to help you learn Christian doctrine with a warm and practical application. Each lesson has its own study guide, and the web link to find that guide can be found in the episode notes. Okay, let's start the lesson. My plan originally was to move to a more detailed examination of the Lord's Prayer's separate petitions in this lesson, or at least to start that examination. But, however, I've changed my mind, and I've decided to stay with question 119 for one more lesson, so that we can see the prayer's purpose and structure. So we're going to begin by reading together from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 9 to verse 13. And I'm reading from the authorised version of the Scriptures. Matthew, chapter 6, and verse 9. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power and the glory, for ever. Amen. So we're looking again at the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 45, question 119. And the Catechist has introduced us to the Lord's Prayer, which is, of course, the model prayer for all of our prayers. So we're going to move on now and look at the prayer itself before we begin to examine the separate petitions in the prayer. And let's make a few general observations about the prayer. I want to see the purpose of the prayer, and I want to see the structure of the prayer. I'll take the purpose of the prayer first. Jesus says, After this manner, therefore, pray ye. So firstly, this is a prayer for the disciples of the Lord Jesus. I've always had problems with saying this prayer in open meetings where unbelievers are present. For the only people who can address God as their Father are those who are truly his children. There is absolutely no point in encouraging people to address God as Father when in reality they are actually the children of their father the devil. John 8 and verse 44 Jesus addressed the Jews, very pious and religious people, and accused them of hypocrisy. He said, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. It was the disciples who asked the Lord to teach them to pray. And it's the disciples whom he instructs in the passage. And the prayer is for his disciples and his disciples alone. So it's a prayer for the disciples of Christ. 
But secondly, it's a prayer for praying. That may sound a strange thing to say. Because despite the reluctance of some evangelicals to use the words of this prayer in public worship, just in case they might be guilty of vain repetition, I firmly do believe that this prayer is intended for us to use as a form of prayer. In fact, in Luke, Jesus actually tells his disciples that when they pray, they are to say, Our Father. Luke 11, verse 1-2 Thirdly, this is a prayer that teaches us to pray. It's didactic. It's a model prayer for Christians. It's interesting that the prayer teaches us to address the needs of the kingdom of heaven before we address our own needs. And so it follows Jesus' own pattern of life for the true disciple in the Sermon on the Mount, where he said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So the prayer properly instructs us to put the things of God first. A teacher was teaching her class to pray. She asked them to put their hands together in what we would call an attitude of prayer. But she asked them not to shut their eyes. Then she asked them to look at their hands. What part of the hand was first closest to you? It was the thumb. It reminds us to pray for those who are close to us, like parents and family. Then comes the index finger, the finger that points. So we're to pray for those who point us in the right direction. For our parents and our teachers and our Sunday school teachers and our pastors. And then there's a big long finger. So pray for those who are over us. Pray for our government. Next comes the ring finger. And it's a known fact that this finger is the weakest finger on our hand. So it helps us to remember to pray for those who are sick or weak. And then comes the little finger, the last and the least. And that should remind me that only after I've prayed for others should I pray for myself. After all, the Bible says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. It's a nice wee object lesson for kids, and it's good as far as it goes. It just leaves out one vital thing, that before we ask God for anything for any of us, we must address him in praise and pray for his glory and pray for his purpose to be accomplished. So the Lord's Prayer has certain purposes. It's a prayer that's for the disciples of Christ. It's a prayer that is actually for praying. It's a prayer that teaches us to pray and then fourthly it's a prayer that is focused on our community the church there can't be such a thing as a solitary christian we are of course saved from our sins as individuals christ died for me on the cross personally and he died for you on the cross personally but when we are saved when we are converted We are brought into God's kingdom. We are placed within God's church. We are within the body of Christ. And we can never separate our prayer life from that understanding. And so Jesus' model prayer is couched in plural language all the way throughout. 
It's a way of saying the purpose of the prayer. So now let's say the structure of the prayer. There's an amazingly precise structure in the Lord's Prayer. Matthew Henry notes that the prayer falls into three sections. The preface, in which we address God in opening and say Our Father. And the petitions, there are six. And then the conclusion. So those six petitions are a complex fabric of intensive instruction. They fall into two groups of three. The first group of petitions is a group of prayers about God and his kingdom. So we say in the prayer, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's important that we address God and his will first. This model prayer teaches us that we need to have God first in our lives and that our will must always be surrendered to his will. Our second petition group then is for our daily needs. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. It deals with our most basic human needs It addresses our human past, our present and our future. Bread is known as the staff of life. It's the most basic food of all. We use it to live. We need it to nourish us. The promise of bread in the future won't feed us now. Living on the harvests of the past won't nourish us in the present. So when we pray this, We bring our present need for sustenance to God. Forgiveness is needed too, if we're going to deal with our past. Help when temptation comes along is a prayer for God's preserving grace for the future. So when we bring our past and our present and our future needs before God in prayer, our Father in heaven, then our needs are addressed right throughout life and right out into eternity. But there's another aspect to these three petitions about our needs. This prayer is Trinitarian in nature. In asking for bread, we are made to consider that God is our creator, that is he who sustains us and provides for us. When we say, give us this day our daily bread, we're acknowledging that everything that we have is his that every breath we take is a gift from God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul reminds us that even foods which appear to belong to some other deity actually belong to God and are given by him. Now we may not believe in the Corinthian false gods, but how many of us actually believe that we are self-made men or self-made women? That everything that we have we have earned through our own efforts. When we pray this prayer, we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we're reminded that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So in asking for bread, we are made to consider that God is our creator, our sustainer and our provider. And when we pray for forgiveness in the Lord's prayer, 
We're acknowledging that God is our Saviour. Specifically remembering that forgiveness only comes to us through Christ, who died at Calvary at the cross so that our sins could be forgiven. In fact, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32 echoes the words of the prayer. Paul writes, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as Christ forgave you. And then when we pray for God to help us in times of temptation, we're acknowledging the work of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter and Sanctifier, who indwells the believer and who strengthens the believer in times of need. The Shorter Catechism, question 35, asks, what is sanctification? And the answer is, sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God, and are enabled more and more to die to sin and live unto righteousness. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23, the Apostle Paul writes this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we pray for all of our lives to be surrendered to God, and we pray for God in all his Trinitarian fullness to be in charge of our lives. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.